Welcome to the Agency Growth Machine Podcast, where it's all about transforming potential into profit. And now your host, Randy Schwantz. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the Agency Growth Machine Podcast. This is Randy Schwantz. And I just want to kind of prep you for what's coming up. We call it the Agency Growth Machine, transforming potential into profit. And for all of us, I mean, you know, look at athletes, look at business people, look at artists of any type, talking about musicians, uh, painters, anything. There's always a, a gap between where we are and what we're capable of doing. And the, the challenge is if we can close that gap, can we also turn it into money? And that's really the goal of of business is to take things and turn them into money. So really the whole purpose of this podcast, Agency Growth Machine, Transforming Potential into Profit, is to get us thinking through as agency owners and producers, where are those things that we can identify, isolate, develop, train, what do we have to do, close in that gap, and then turn that into money. And why money? Well, you know, if you're an agency owner, then you're looking to create wealth and you know, the, the more you can put profit to the bottom line, grow the top line, um, your agency goes up in value. Tim Cunningham, a friend of mine with Optus Partners, a real maven of all this stuff, says that uh, when you're a high-growth agency, you command another 15 to 20% bonus on top of whatever the core value is because you're your growth agency, where non-growth agencies will get five, six, seven, seven and a half times EBITDA. As a growth agency, you'll get another 15 to 20% bonus on top of that. So it's worth a lot. If you're a producer, why turn things into money? Well, you know, my own personal story is with four daughters. Uh, one of the big ahas for me was the day that I already, I knew I had four daughters. I just never really thought about what it was going to take to raise them. I mean, how much money to put really to, to do several things, um, Number one, uh, club sports are very expensive. And so I had four daughters involved in club sports, you know, costing probably on the average of uh, $12,000, $15,000 a year annually per kid. You know, by, by the time you looked at the travel teams and the coaching and the gyms, you had to rent, all that stuff involved. I mean, you know, so that's th- that range between forty dollars and $65,000 a year for that. And that, that was year after year after year after year. And, and then we also had them in private school. That was pretty expensive. That's that, that average between fifteen and $19,000 a year. And then when they turn 16, you buy them a car or you continue to haul them around everywhere. And so out of survival as a parent, you know, you buy them a car. Then the question, you're going to buy them a rent wreck a piece of junk. You're going to buy them something decent or something nice. We chose to buy them something nice um, for a lot of reasons. But, you know, you want a car that looked good, started, had good brakes, all that sort of stuff. A couple of years later, then they go off to college. Um, we had two kids that actually got scholarships. And so we had, we've had six years out of 16 paid for by the university or that's the plan. Um, but it doesn't always turn out that way. And so then, you know, you're saving for kids colleges. We thought, I thought they would all be going to some sort of, you know, public state school, i.e. the university of Texas, Texas A&M, Texas Tech, something like that. We're Texas people. Um, but that didn't turn out that way. Uh, one went to Samford in Birmingham. It's a private school. Uh, she got three years of scholarship. Number two went to Oklahoma out of state. Uh, she walked on and rode, but never got any money. So paid four years there. Uh, number three went to Baylor. Uh, that's about $52,000 a year. And then number four is going to Duke. Well, she's getting three years, but we're having to pay the first year. And the first year is about $85,000. 
my point is, it's real money. I mean, it, it's a lot of real money. So why do why do we need money? Well, because kids cost a lot of money. Again, I go back to club sports, uh, cars, university we just talked about, and the last thing with four girls is weddings. And, um, and look, you know, it's easy to get caught in a trap of a wedding and what it's going to really cost. And many times it's a lot more than what you thought it would be. So, uh, you know, first one got married and we were $17,000 over budget, not the biggest number in the world, but it all adds up. So when we go back to this whole thing about transforming potential into profit, I know that just for me personally, I mean, being a West Texas farm boy, almost all of my, really all of my, all of my friends, you know, their, their dads were farmers. Uh, sometimes the mom was a farm mom. Some of them actually had jobs and that was the environment we were raised in. Uh, I came out of that and had a, you know, graduated from a small high school of 43 people, half didn't show up cause they were pregnant. You get the point. And then came out of that, decided not to go to school, um, for a couple of years. And then finally had a little Porsche 914 caught on fire and melted, actually melted on July 3rd, the day before independence day. And, I kind of saw it as a sign. As a saw, I saw it as a sign from God. Hey, man, it's time to go to school. So then I, I registered at Texas Tech, and um, I, I had these courses because I'd been out of high school for a couple of years that I wanted to take, having to do with sales, sales psychology, you know, some things like that. And my counselor looked at what I wanted and said, "You can't take that. You're a freshman," and so put me into Algebra One. Uh, and Psych 101 as well as, well, really, that was it. That's the load I was taking. And uh, <laughs> after after I went to school Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, two classes each day. And by the end of that, that second uh, Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, I said, this is stupid. I, I mean, I, what, what am I doing here? Um, I'm not a college guy. So I kind of forfeited going to college. Um, didn't make sense to me. And so maybe I had potential, but man, if I didn't find a way to transform that potential, I was going to be stuck. I was going to be stuck in a farmer's mentality. Um, it was going to be hard to escape. So, you know, part of my story was I moved from, from Lubbock to Dallas, uh, working for a steel company. It's a distributor and we did metal building components and the kind of stuff that you would make air conditioning you know, units out of and everything. Anyway, steel and worked for them for a while. And, um, um, during, during that period of time, um, or soon thereafter, I took, I took a lot of courses, Del Carnegie courses, finally took a course from Sandler, um, and then, uh, changed jobs. And then I did a fire walk with Tony Robbins, which was one of the coolest things personally that I ever did because the, the fire walk opened my mind uh, and it certainly challenged my belief system. Why did I do the fire walk? Well, I was reading the success magazine one day uh, at my condo. I was single at the time, flipped this one page and it's a black and white grainy picture. And here's a picture of a big guy in a three piece suit with his pants rolled up to his knees. And you could see it's kind of a black and white picture, but, could you, but you could see that there was a different color under his feet. I mean, those were the coals. And then he had this big caption, uh, Tony Robbins helps people turn fear into power. And so I decided to, to do that. And, and it kind of went on to say that 30,000 people had, 
had done it as well. And so I'm sitting there going, man, if it ever comes to, to, to Texas, I'd love to do that. Well, ironically enough, about two months later, he came and a friend of mine named Mark Pantak came to me and said, Hey, Randy Robbins has come to town. Uh, he's doing a firewalk. You want to go? And I'd already kind of put that picture in my mind that I would do it. So then when the time came up, I did it. And, um, it, it was really interesting. It was, um, it was a Friday night, Saturday, Sunday sort of deal, but the, the firewalk was the first night on Friday night. And this is back when Tony Robbins was kind of new in the business. Many of you have probably heard of him, but there's only about 150 people in the room, which is a nice crowd, but compared to his 2000 people now, it's not much. Um, he's up on the, the stage as we started about five o'clock, he'd, he'd break a few boards and, um, and demonstrate and talk. And then you know, he'd talk about the firewalker going to be doing and, and then we took a break while I walked outside and we saw all the wood stacked up, came back inside, did some more work, uh, took a break. Uh, and, and during that work, we, we wrote like, what was our biggest fear? No, we, we took, did some work, went back out there and saw the fire, fire again and lit the fire, came back inside, did some work, wrote down our biggest fear, went outside. This time we wadded up that piece of paper, threw it in the fire, you know, as a metaphor for throwing away your fears. Then came back inside, and by then it was about midnight, and it was time to uh, time to walk. And you, you know, you hear these like mamba drum drums in the back, boom, 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 boom. This kind of sound, all that sort of stuff. And um, uh, man, we were in a trance. And anyway, seventy-five people in each line lined up behind that those coals, and we all walked. And you know, it's about one, two, three, four. You're off. So it's only about four steps. It's not like you're dancing out there, but four steps on hot coals. Get off on the other side and sit there going, holy crap, I just walked on fire. And um, you know, you celebrate and everybody's celebrating. It's all really cool. And uh, then we did the, the Saturday and Sunday, which is a lot more of his workshop. And then, and this is the way my mind works. I'm sitting there going, you know, I was on a bit of a high, but then a couple of months later, I'm sitting there trying to figure out, how, how do you walk on fire? I mean, that's fundamentally impossible. You can't do that. And um, so then I started talking myself out of it in a sense. I didn't really walk on fire. If I did, it wasn't real. If I did, it was a joke. It was a hoax, all that sort of stuff. And ironically, at that same time, I met a guy that uh, was a magician, and his whole deal was to, uh, to expose con artists, for lack of a better term. And he even said, you know, Tony Robbins is a con artist. You're not really walking on fire. It's a trick, all that sort of stuff. Well, all that stuff kicked into my belief system. So I went from my high to my low going, I didn't really do it. And then I finally just kind of rationalized it and said, wait, 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 wait. I saw the wood. I saw the fire. I saw the coals. I stepped, 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 got off on the other side. I did it. Somehow I did it. And it, and it, and, and it became a metaphor for me. It became a metaphor for my life. Um, you know, most people would never try to walk on fire because they don't believe they can. And yet before I did it, 30,000 people or more had done it. If they can do it, why can't I? And that's the metaphor. If they can do it, why can't I? And, um, it's no different than this podcast. I mean, there's a lot of people now doing podcasts. I'm kind of late to the game. Here we are, you know, August of 2017. I mean, there's a lot of dudes out there doing it, but what's going through my mind, boy, if they can do it, why can't I? I mean, you don't have to be like some super duper bad boy, mega pro. You don't have to be an Oprah Winfrey to do it. 
You just have to be somebody with a message. And my message is all around the fact that there's a very good chance you've got potential that you haven't transformed into something better for you, for your life. And when we say transform potential into profit, it's not just profit. I mean, as you're doing the transformation, you're becoming more of a person. You're becoming a better salesperson, a better communicator, a better deliverer of services. In many cases, you're going to become a better father or mother. You're going to provide better for your family. You know, there's a there's an intrinsic thing, which it probably makes you feel good to do these things. There's an extrinsic thing called motivation of, you know, you're competitive. You want to be recognized. Maybe like me, you have a fear going back to the story I told you a while ago of, of all the debt I, I was building up just by having four kids. It never really dawned on me having four kids, you're actually just building up a load of debt, but you are. And so extrinsically, I felt that need to go do something. So as we talk about this transformation process, not only are you transforming so you can have profit, but so you can invest that profit in your kids, your family, better vacations, better college educations, better cars, all those things, the material things, but that's not where life really is. It just makes life easier. Life is really all those connections. And so hopefully you're also transforming your ability to connect with people and build better relationships. So this podcast is all about transforming potential into profit so you can have the things you want in your life. And um, pretty soon I'm going to, in the first podcast, for the, I mean, the, the really the second episode, I should say, I really want to start to break down what I think of as the three struggles of agency principles. And I'm going to tell you what I think they are, and then and then and then we'll spend our time and we'll get into them. We'll start to break them down in a in a very powerful and legitimate way. But here's the three struggles as I see them. Um, struggle number one is to, you know, how do you motivate? what I think of as the bottom 80% of your producers. When you think of the top 20%, I mean, and you're probably one of them, those, you know, that group of producers, uh, we're just going to say they're kind of natural. And and where it comes from, it could come from a lot of things. It could come from a rough childhood. It could come from a great childhood. It could come from, um, you know, you never had anything as a kid to, you know, your parents were great providers and you want to be like them. I mean, I don't know where it comes from. It comes from where it comes from. But they're great producers, and they write the majority of the business. So the top 20 write the majority of new business, and the bottom 80 don't. And unless you can figure out a way to tap into that bottom 80%, and I'm talking about their minds, their psyches, help them transform their potential into something much greater, then you're kind of stuck with your ability to grow because it's hard to always find just top 20 talent. Um, Although we're going to talk about that in an episode also or many episodes, which is grit, how to find, hire, and develop real producers. But right now, problem number one, big struggle number one, is, is how, do you, how do you transform that bottom 80% of producers into something great? How do you motivate them? How do you get them in the game? How do you get them selling? How do you get them to want to sell? How do you get them prospecting? How do you get them organized? How do you get them to raise their retention? And th- those are all things. And, you know, when you were younger, you probably played sports and maybe you're still playing sports, but you probably played team sports where you had a coach and the coach at sometimes is up in your grill. The coach other times put their arm around you and told you you're doing a good job. Uh, the coach in many cases had a playbook 
that he wanted you to learn. The coach worked you out in practice and sometimes even to the point to make you throw up. Um, the coach made you get out there if you're playing basketball and bang against the other guys and people get hurt. They don't hurt each other intentionally, but 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 it's a war. You know, basketball's a war, football's a war, soccer's a war. Name it, lacrosse. It's a war. It's all warsome. There's teams going against each other. But through that process, people get stronger, bigger, better, faster, all that sort of stuff. So we're going to talk about that. How do you get into the to the heads and the hearts and the souls of the bottom 80% of producers? Big, 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 big struggle for most agencies. And even to the point that, if you're going to be candid, most have given up. And certainly there's a group of them that should be given up upon, probably. You know, they'll, they'll just never do it. They're just, they're just a, a square peg in a round hole. But there's a lot of round holes and round round pegs and round holes, if you will. There's a lot of people that belong here. And uh, I've seen it, you know, I've been doing this now for 25 years. I've just seen a lot of producers, and I'm talking about producers in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s and their 50s and even their 60s, that because somebody took a different interest in them, put them on a plan, helped them think, changed them, molded them, transformed them, coached them, gave them skills, gave them a direction, put them on a game plan, created some accountability, all that stuff that 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 those guys transformed. And age was irrelevant. Now, because uh, you might say, well, why would you waste any time with a 60-year-old guy? Well, the same same reason you waste time with a 20-year-old guy. Either they either you can stir and light this fire and get some things going, but it's not just a placebo type of deal. It's it's putting them on a system. Uh, I heard this quote the other day that that in martial arts they never talk about whether something is easy or hard. They just talk about either you're trained or not trained. And so that stuck with me. When you look at a lot of the producers we're talking about, most of them have never really been trained. I mean, if you're going to be honest, I mean, really honest, most of them have never really been trained. They've never been trained to prospect. They've never been trained to really make cold calls. They've never been trained how to legitimately ask for <clears throat> introductions and get them. They just they haven't been trained to do that stuff. So then they, 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 they haven't had enough reps. They don't have the dialogue down. Or they were taught something that was wrong and doesn't work. And so they're kind of holding on to that. So they were never trained. They just don't really know how to do it. So therefore, they don't have any confidence in that area. And that's a big problem. So anyway, we could go on and we're going to talk about that in the future at the bottom 80%. Struggle number one. What's struggle number two? Find, hire, and develop real producers. I mean, for most agencies, um, there's some stats came out by Bobby Reagan. Uh, he did a report a couple of years ago. But the, the average agency, um, the, the, the average age of producers in agency, the average age is going up. The average age should be flat. But it's going up, meaning that people are getting older on average, not flat or getting younger. The only agencies that are getting younger are the ones that are recruiting young talent, putting them in, then you average the ages out, and they're getting younger. So if you're not actively prospecting for new producers, out recruiting, telling your story, getting them in, assessing them, making sure that they've got the talent. So we're going to talk about the the five attributes. There's, There's five really, really important attributes that every new producer must have. And if you skip any one of those five, I mean, you're, you're, 
you're, you're taking, you're rolling the dice. You're taking a huge risk. I'm going to talk to you about a profile that, that we're involved in helping create called the grit, uh, personality inventory to we, we measure nine characteristics of, of, of these guys to see if they're for real. Um, and, and what's built into it, what, why I like this particular GPI, the grit producer, uh, personality inventory is because it's got a lot of stuff built in to prevent gaming of the system. So problem number one, big struggle number one is how do I motivate the bottom 80% of producers if I'm an agency principal? Problem number two is how do I find, hire, and develop newbies? And that's a big subject, and we're going to talk about that a lot. Number three then becomes as an agency owner and principal who has management duties, who has to meet with underwriters and carriers and carrier execs, who has to be on committees about what's going on with software and you know, HR issues and all that sort of stuff, as well as has a book. And that's where most of you make the majority of your money, not all your money, but the majority of your money is off your book and the commission you get there. Um, and then some off the profit of the agency, but then you've got that responsibility. Then you've also got the responsibility of, of writing new and then kind of what falls to the bottom of your list in many cases is that of sales leadership. And one of the things that makes sales leadership so hard struggle number three is that there's no tools, no systems. It's a random, chaotic sort of process. And because of that, it just becomes very time-consuming. And instead of digging in, it's the first thing you kind of want to avoid at the beginning of every week. So that's where we're going to be going over the, the next several podcasts. Three struggles of agency principles, drilling into those things, figuring out. After that, um, I'm going to get into what I, what I call the, the five steps of extraordinary growth. And I think you're really going to like this. Uh, I just wrote a book called Agency Growth Machine. It's based upon this, the five steps of extraordinary growth. When we've got a, a platform called the EG5 platform, EG being extraordinary growth, five, five things you ought to do to build it, to, to really drive growth. And, and so when you get into driving that growth, you, you are transforming all the potential in your agency into profit. And look, it, you know, I mean, w- with few exceptions, with few exceptions, you're in a position, if you will own it, to go get in the transformation business, to find, hire, and develop real producers, to support your, your big producers and make them even better, to take the bottom 80%. You might call some out, the bottom 20%, ask them to leave, take it to another place. But that, that middle 60, that there's a lot of gold in that. Um, and then as you do that, as you transform all that potential, then all of a sudden you become, you become in a, in a great place. The great place is that, that now you're growing your agency. You're driving more profit. As you have more profit, you can invest more profit. You know, the agency value goes up and it's just a win-win deal. And, and then it becomes a lot more fun. It's a lot more fun to be playing with winners than it is with losers. And, you know, it's no big secret there. And so that's what is going on here. So, um, you won't find a lot of hype in this thing. Um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping you just go, man, this guy's just pragmatic. He's to the core because I think that's how you learn best. Um, and just get right down to the teaching part. So that's, what's coming up. Welcome to, welcome to the agency growth machine podcast. I'm Randy Schwantz, your host, and I can't wait to see you and talk to you on podcast number two.